We continue our series through the book of Romans, and finally, finally, we find our way to the end of Romans chapter 8, the chapter of chapters, as we've said for the last few weeks, a chapter that we began before Christmas, Romans chapter 8, and a chapter that we will wrap up but I have no doubt revisit again eventually one day. But for the sake of this series, we wrap up Romans chapter 8 this morning. In Romans chapter 8, we've been dealing with the ultimate theme and the idea of the adoption of God. Think about the beautiful things that we've learned in the book of Romans. We've learned about our sanctification. We've learned about our justification. And here we, in Romans chapter 8, spending several weeks talking about the good news and the reality of our adoption in Jesus Christ, our adoption as sons and daughters with all of the rights and all of the privileges of a son and daughter of God. And for one final week and one final message that Paul has He wants to drive this reality home that regardless of what is going on in your life today, he wants us to be reminded of the Father, the sovereign Father, the sovereign love of a sovereign Father who will do, will never, ever, ever let us go and abandon us. It is the love of the sovereign Father that Paul emphasizes here at the end of Romans chapter 8. So Romans chapter 8, we'll read together verse 28 through 32, and then verses 37 through 39. This is the very word of God that is preached to you this morning. And we know that for those that love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Verse 37, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the grass withers and the flower fades. But isn't it so good, so good, that the word of our God, it stands forever. Amen. Having a worthy father can make all the difference. Having a worthy father for a little boy or a little girl can make all the difference in the world. 
And it's here in this passage that we just read that Paul wants to end the chapter on the most emphatic note in case there was any question, any doubt about the love of God the Father, the sovereign love of the Father towards his children in adoption. He wants to leave the reader, he wants to leave the listener, which is you this morning, with no doubt whatsoever, no questions in your mind about the gravity and how profound the love of our sovereign Father is. He wants to end this chapter with the most emphatic language, the most hyperbolic language that he uses there at the end, those, those words that we just read, nothing high, nothing low, not even the, the rulers or the principalities of darkness, that there's nothing in creation or on the earth below or the heavens above that could ever separate us from the love of God the Father. How secure, how deep, how loved. Paul wants us to have no doubts about who our Father is. The first thing that we see here regarding the love of our sovereign father. The first point in this passage is we see a father who never rests. He is the father who never rests. In verse 28, we read of God the father who is always at work. Paul says, or what he does not say is, I think, or I hope so. Paul says what? I know. For this we know in verse 28. What does Paul know without a shadow of a doubt? That for those that love God, God works all things, all things for the good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 28 speaks of a father who is never at rest, speaks of a father who is always at work. Now notice that Paul does not say that all things are good. There's no surprise to us, right? That Paul does not say that all things are good. But what he does say is all the things for all those people who love God and are called according to his purpose, that God, even on your worst day, even in the messiest of circumstances, that God is always at work. He is the God that never rests. Now, it's important to link verse 28 with verse 27. Last week, we read in verse 27 that God does what? What does God do in verse 27? He intercedes through the Spirit for the saints according to what? The will of God. So verse 27 says that God works according to the will of God. He intercedes according to his will. In verse 28, according to his power. So that we need to understand that as children of God, that God does not answer our prayers according to our purpose, according to our wills, but he answer, does answer prayers according to his purpose and according to his power. And it only makes sense. Who's the parent in this relationship? God. Does the parent in any relationship, when their son or their daughter is crying out for help, give the child what they think is best for them? No. The parent gives the child in their time of need what the parent thinks is best for the child. Likewise, God our Father, as the ultimate perfect parent, looks down upon his children and does not ignore us in our time of need, but does not necessarily give us what we want according to our purpose and our desires. God gives us what he knows is best for us according to his purpose 
and his desires. But make no mistake and never fear and have any doubt that God is always at work. On the worst day of your life, God is always at work for those that love God and have been called according to his purpose. Every night when we tuck our children into bed and the lights go out and they don't want mommy or daddy to leave the room, we pray this prayer. God, help us to remember that while we sleep, we know that you never sleep. God, that while we rest tonight, you are the God that never rests. You know what? We are nothing more than just grown-up little boys and grown-up little girls that still need to be reminded every single day that God is not resting and that God is not sleeping. That there is nothing that Paul wants us to understand for those that have been called according to his purpose. There is nothing that is outside the will and the power of God. And don't we love that as good news for us this morning? To think that life and the world could be in our hands, we can't do anything but mess it up even more. But thank God that our lives and this world is in the hands of a sovereign God in which there is nothing outside of his control. Not the smallest molecule on this universe is outside the sovereign control of God. And thank God for that. Involved in every detail. No such thing as luck in the economy of God. He is the father who never rests. He is always at work. But then Paul wants us to understand that this father who's adopted us in Christ is not only the father who's never at rest, but the second thing he wants us to see, that he is the father who does everything. He is the father who does everything. In verses 29 through 30, he is the father who does everything from beginning to end. In verse 29, he says that he is the God who foreknew us. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Paul introduces us to this idea of foreknowledge, the foreknowledge of God. Now what does this mean exactly to Paul? What is the foreknowledge of God for those who he foreknew? Now this is what it doesn't mean. That God, in his infinite wisdom, looked down the tunnel of time and saw in eternity future those that would choose him and those that would not choose him. And he says, those are the ones I will work with, those that choose me, those that love me, those are the ones that I will come alongside of and work all things to the good for those people. That's not what foreknowledge means here in Romans chapter 8. Knowledge here is the same knowledge that we see in Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, it says that Adam knew Eve and she conceived a son. Now, I don't think I need to explain what happened between Adam and Eve to conceive a son, but I can tell you it was not Adam saying, Eve, I know a lot about you now, and now we can have a son. No. Obviously, knowledge here in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, and here in the context of the New Testament of what Paul is speaking of here is a knowledge that is more than a cognitive knowledge. It means love and affection. So Romans chapter 8 can be translated this way. Those whom God loved in advance. Those that God put his affection and his heart towards before the foundation of the world. 
You see, what Paul wants us to understand is that your security and your destiny and your position in Christ as a son and daughter of God was firmly planted and grounded before you were even here, before the very foundation of the world, your eternity was secured in that moment. But then God goes on to say, or Paul goes on to say, that not only were you loved in advance, but you were predestined, called, justified, glorified. This is what theologians call the golden chain of salvation. And what is Paul trying to do here? He is taking us through a journey of salvation. He is attempting to show us that salvation, your salvation and my salvation from the very beginning to the very end had nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. He is the God that does everything. What Paul is trying to emphasize here is that when it comes to your salvation, God's fingerprints are all over it. He does everything from the very beginning to the very end, even loving us in advance before the foundation of the world. Now you'll notice in what we call the golden chain of salvation, this idea of foreknowledge and predestined and being called and justified. And just as a side note, we are going to go through in depth this idea of predestination and election next week when we get to Romans chapter 9, this idea of God choosing us and us not choosing uh, God, the idea that God chose us because we don't love God because we want to love God. We love God because God first loved us. We will unpack that in depth next Sunday as we look at Romans chapter 9. But notice what Paul has done here. He has spoken of every part of our salvation in the past tense. He foreknew us in the past tense, predestined us. He chose us in the past tense. He called us in the past tense. He justified us in the past tense. And then you get to glorified. Wait a second. I thought being glorified is what will happen one day when we stand before God and we are absent from sin and we are in our glorified state. And you're right, it is. Then why in the world is in the past tense? Is there anyone in this room that has already been glorified? Well, Paul is saying, in the mind of God, you have. And that is the most and the greatest assurance that you can have. Paul is saying that your position in Christ as a son and daughter, it's as if God has already said it is finished, it is done. You can bank on it from beginning to end. He is the God that does everything. And if you're here this morning in Christ, your future glorification, the end of your salvation is already guaranteed. This is what we speak of when we talk about eternal security or when we talk about perseverance of the saints. And as R.C. Sproul said it best, the only reason we persevere as children of God is because God is continually from beginning to end preserving us in his sovereign care. You see, we have a God here who does everything from beginning to end. We have a dad who will get us home. So Paul wants us to understand that we have a father who does what? Who never rests. We have a father who does everything from beginning to end, the very beginning of our salvation to the very end of our salvation. We see the sovereignty of God throughout. And then lastly, we see a father who will never leave. 
In verse 31 through 32 and then 37 through 38, Paul wants to end this chapter on the most emphatic note that you have a father in which nothing can separate you from his love. It is a fierce love. It is a bold love. And what Paul does in verse 31, he asks a very relevant question to those living in Rome. What then shall we say to these things? What is Paul speaking about? He's speaking about all of the accusations, all of the judgments that has been brought about them upon them from Rome. That these were heretics. That these people were not bowing their knee to Rome. That they were not bowing their knee to the Roman gods. And And these Christians living in Rome were watching brother and sister and mother and father being carried off into prison. And you can imagine they were thinking to themselves, where is God in all of this? Is God for me? And what Paul says is so profound. He says, think, think. In those moments where you wonder if God is for you, I want you to think about this. What does he say in verse 31? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, then why are you worrying? If God is for you, then why are you so overwhelmed? If God is for us and for our team and for our family and for us as individuals, how in the world could you go through this life overwhelmed? Don't. He is the God that is for you. And if you ever think, his God is for me, then Paul then goes on in verse 32 to answer the question, How is God for me? In verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us now, how will he not also be with him and graciously give us all things? You see, what Paul is saying here, do not miss it. On those days where we wonder if God is for us or whether God is against us, you can answer it by saying this. If I am in Christ today, God is not only for me, he has to be for me. Why? Because he was against his son, Jesus Christ. You see, God cannot be against us because he went against his own son, Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul is trying to drive home here. On those days where you wonder if God is for you, you can wake up in the morning and say, is God for me? He wasn't even willing to spare his own son. In fact, he gave him up for me so that he would never, ever be against me. Every day you wake up, if you are in Christ, you need to announce this to yourself. God was against Jesus so that he would never be against me. Put it on your mirror, put it in your bathroom, put it on your dashboard. God against Jesus so that God would never be against me. How much is he for me? Not even willing to spare his own son so that I would never be separated from God the Father. He cannot be against us because he was against his very own son. Paul wants us to think, 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 think of what Paul, of what God has done. And then he ends, will he be against you? Will he always be there for you? And then he goes into verse 37, 38, and 39, like I said, using this over-the-top language to remind us that there is nothing that could ever separate us and prevent God from being there, to being for you. 
remember sitting in a counseling session with somebody one time and they said something so honest. They said, Pastor, I know God loves me, but some days I wonder if he likes me. So profound. In verse 37, 38, 39, it says, does he like you? There is nothing that could separate you from the affections of our sovereign father. Nothing. Nothing high and nothing low. Nothing wide. The, the, the powers of the air. The, the powers of darkness. Nothing on God's green earth could ever separate you from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you can hear the, the, the message from Paul as if God wanted to remind you here this morning that if you're in Christ, there is nothing that separates me from my children. There is nothing and nobody that separates God from his children. There is not a more worthy father. He is the father we long for. A few years ago, I came across this reflection on Father's Day. It was a Father's Day article printed in the newspaper and it was a reflection from a grown man about his father. And this is what he said. He said, I can still picture my dad bouncing me on his knee, coaching me in Little League, showing me how to shine my shoes, helping me reel in my first fish, and telling me stories about his early days as an undercover detective on the Dayton Police Force. I could still hear him saying the words, son, I love you. I could imagine him messing up my hair, wrestling with me on the living room floor, and sharing a hot dog with me at a Cincinnati Reds game. I could still see him puffing up his chest when he talked about me to his friends. He was proud to be my dad. He would do anything for me. I was his son. He was my dad. I was a chip off the old block. I can still see all this and much more, but I can't see it in the reservoir of fond memories. Instead, I recall it from an imagination and yearning that wished then and wishes now that it were so. My dad left home when I was three. I never knew him. The longing for a father. As I said a few weeks ago, not something just for little boys and little girls. For grown-up boys and grown-up girls as well. And if you ever thought, this just seems too good to be true, to have a worthy father that loves me, then we discover here this morning, or reminded yet again, that for those that are in Christ, we have a worthy father, a father who never rests, a father who does everything from beginning to end, and the good news of a father that will never leave us, the father that is for you, not against you. Do you know this Jesus, this Jesus that submitted his life to his father, This Jesus that gave up his life so that you could forever have a relationship with God, your heavenly father. You confess with your mouth this morning that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Jesus gave up the relationship with his father so that you could have a relationship with him forever. I invite you to come today. Receive Jesus, your only hope. And be connected to God, your Heavenly Father, forever. You know what they say. When something seems too good to be true, it's often too good to be true. But today, we can believe. 
what seems too good to be true, is true because of the work and the person of Jesus Christ. Would you run to him and stand amazed in his love and be able to walk out of here this morning saying, the Father was not for Jesus, but he was for me. And that is good news. He is my worthy Father.